me now. That's even better. It works out better when that happens, huh? There we go. So how's everybody? Um, I'm actually going to put my reading glasses on today. I bought myself some slamming reading glasses, so I have to really say I like them. I think they're quite stylish. So I'm going to wear them today. Um, I am teaching on a message that I absolutely love the scripture reference. I'm actually in Ezekiel teaching, or reading actually, and uh, I read this. I really didn't have any intentions to really teach it, but I really felt like God just kept going, it kept going over my head so many times, and I'm like, you know, I think that'd be an awesome thing to preach from because there's a whole lot there. So I'm actually going to read to you out of Ezekiel 37, and I'm going to read to you from the message translation, which is obviously different. If you don't have a message translation, you're probably going to have a harder time following and uh, moving along with me, but it's written in really relevant today speaking. So it says in Ezekiel 37, it says, God grabbed me. God's spirit took me up and set me down in the middle of an open plain strewn with bones. He led me around and among them a lot of bones. There were bones all over the plain, dry bones bleached by the sun. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Master God, only you know that. He said to me, Prophesy over these bones. Dry bones, listen to the message of God. God the Master told the dry bones, Watch this. I'm bringing the breath of life to you, and you'll come to life. I'll attach sinews to you, put meat on your bones, cover you with skin, and breathe life into you. You'll come alive, and you'll realize that I am God. I prophesied just as I'd been commanded. As I prophesied, there was a sound and rustling. The bones moved and came together, bone to bone. I kept watching. Sinews formed, then muscles on the bones, then skin stretched over them, but they had no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man. Tell the breath, God the master says, come from the four winds, come, breath. Breathe on these slain bodies and breathe life. It's an awesome scripture. It's just an amazing scripture. There's so much to that. There's actually a place in um, that area that you can see there's these like rock area where there's these, this area where it looks as though there's bones laying and they said that they might come from that area that this was done. But you know what? I take God at a lot of his word and I think that there's things that happened that were really literal and I think that's the God that we serve. I think he was a very literal God. I think that he is a God that can bring dead back to life. We talked about that not too long ago that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's the resurrection, and he can bring things back. So you may have heard that scripture before, that scripture reference. You may not have read it in the message. And um, it's a little bit um, graphic. Shelby's uh, visual is somewhat graphic. But you know, this is exactly what God was. God was a very graphic God. He was a God that says bones were laying, strewn apart, and he brought bones back together and then put tendons back on and muscles and then skin to form everything. So how many of you guys have ever heard the old song, Dem Bones? You ever guys heard of it? They say that they used to sing it in in the churches. You'll know the next part when it starts. You hear this part? There we go. Most of us remember this song, not necessarily from a church, but you learned it like in school. 
know? You learn those different, uh, those different bones that are attached to different bones and, and different things like that. It's what you learn usually at school. But I didn't actually con- realize until I started to study this and try to do some uh, background information and check in on the scripture reference that it's actually about Ezekiel 37. It's actually talking about Ezekiel and uh, bringing the bones back together and how he connected them back together. And so it's a kid's reference, really, for a song that's really, that a, a story that's very graphic. So, but for some reason, we do that. We have like Noah's Ark. You know, they make Noah's Ark sounds like it's such a fantastic tale when actually, um, if you read Noah's Ark in the Bible, it says that he went into the, his ark and he was in there for seven days and there were people beaten on the ark when the rain started coming and they were dying and, and Noah basically heard all these people die, hideous, rotten deaths outside the ark when they wouldn't get on at the time that they had available to them. So, you know, we tend to do this in churches. It seems like we make these stories that really God had be very weighty and graphic and for us to get our attention and we kind of like make them wonderfully petted and they're so wonderful and kind, but by the time we're done reading them and seeing them, it's like there's nothing even there. You know, we don't even get what God was trying to do. Um, Many skinny people hear the words, put some meat on those bones. Many skinny people hear that. Um, I can honestly say it's never been spoken to me. Um, I don't think anybody's ever told me that. Um, It's a phrase, obviously, that when people are very, very thin and people are always trying to get them to eat and bulk up. You know, here, eat this. You should eat this. You know, you should try to get some meat on your bones and... And guys, I think, probably hear it more than girls because this is a culture of thinness and skinniness for girls. That's all we are all about, you know. And uh, guys are always told that they need to bulk up, look all manly man, you know, kind of thing and, and stuff. But um, guys are always told that they need to get big and macho and stand like this, you know, because their muscles, they can't even shut their arms and stuff, you know. They look all manly. And, uh, you know, we're a real competitive culture. Girls fight each other about who is the thinnest. I mean, you'll get a group of girls, and honestly, they will do what their best they do to compete just to be the thinnest girl. It, it's really weird. And uh, guys, you might not do it as noticeably, but I do think guys tend to kind of compete a little bit, and they want to be the most manly guy. They want to maybe be the strongest looking or um, most muscular. So, you know, why do we do that? Because we want to be paired up with, like, the best person, right? It's all competition. You know, the thing is, you know, we're told a long time ago that, you know, if you're not the skinniest, most beautiful creature and you're not with the most beautiful manly creature, then, you know, you're going to be lonely and you're never going to find anybody and you're going to just be dying a miserable death. That's what they tell us. (laughs) You know, that's what society tells us. Society tells us that we have to, like, compete and, and be all these things, you know? We have to be the skinniest, the prettiest, the most macho and uh, things like that. And there was a guy named Charles Atlas. Have you ever heard about Charles Atlas? Any of you guys? Just now? Just now, now, Ellie. Um, He took this quite serious. He was a guy who was real thin, real skinny, and uh, he really took it serious when he decided he wanted to bulk up. And uh, he was the the founding father of modern-day bodybuilding and fitness. And he was born October 30th, 1892. 1892. He immigrated with his mom from Italy, and he was just a small boy, and he went on to develop his own muscle-building mail-order business. And he put all these advertisements in the back of magazines all the time, and uh, popular magazines. And his most famous ad was a cartoon in which this scrawny young guy 
um, resolves to bulk up after some bully kicks sand in his face. And uh, this is something that ran for decades. Here we go. This is, this is one of the ads, you know. Don't let him hit you, Joe. Watch what you say, fella. Shut up, you bag of bones. <laughs> Darn it, I'm tired of being a skinny scarecrow. Charles Atlas says he can make me a new man. I'll gamble a stamp and get me a free book later. Boy, it didn't take long. What a build. Now I'll take care of that bully. There's a love tap from that bag of bones, remember? And she, he hits them good. Oh, Joe, you are a real he-man after all. What a man. And he used to be so skinny. You know, this is something that was in ads everywhere. What's really interesting, these ads ran in the 30s. Interestingly enough, they had such longevity that when I was a kid, it was, I remember reading magazines in the 70s, and they still had these ads in the magazines. You still saw them. They were still running. Probably were still wearing the same outfits. You know, it's really interesting how this did this. You know, his company was quite successful, just trying to build up and bulk up, you know. And uh, in the 29, in the, the stock market hit, he really got out of the stock market unscathed. He did well for himself because he, people were all, you know, drawn to this idea of bulking up and it was manliness. And, and he goes on to build um, so much muscle and everything that his name is actually, you know, not Charles Atlas, because he looked like this Greek god, Atlas. People kept calling him this. So he actually went and changed his name and became Charles Atlas. And uh, he was actually considered the most perfect specimen of men. So, what He sold um, isometric, like, tension, um, a book just to explain weights, and how, or not weights, but just exercises. That's all it was. And he made a lot of money just by that. So that's really all he sold. So um, he actually went on, he doubled his weight. His chest was an impressive 54 and three-quarter inches. His biceps measured 17 inches. And he maintained these measurements for the rest of his life. He died 79 years old after he jogged on the beach, and he had a heart attack then. But it was more hereditary, they say. So actually, he actually kept his measurements his whole entire life. That's pretty impressive. That's a pretty impressive guy, I'll tell you. Um, he was somebody that took this quite serious. So we can understand what goes on in society, that there's a lot of people that are really drawn to look like the perfect physical specimen. You know, it's what we are tend to told, told all the time in society that we need to look the right way and dress the right way and act the right way. And, and that's what we're always told. But how does this really work in the real world when it comes to our spiritual sense and, and who we really are? Because this is really just a facade, you know, this isn't really who we really are. It may be what um, outward impression I give to the world, but in truth, it's not who I am at all. So I want to talk to you a little bit about how we put on spiritual weight, how we put on spiritual muscle. And uh, right off the bat in Ezekiel 37, it starts out with the phrase, God grabbed me. And I think that's something that we have to really understand. God has a way of getting our attention. How many of us out there have just unsuspecting, really? I mean, you might have been raised with faith or, or just an idea of following after God, but it really didn't get you. And it seems like one day, all of a sudden, it was like God got your attention. God kind of made things a little bit more big and real and genuine to you. And uh, he has that way about him. I mean, it happened to me in 1993. Like I said, it wasn't something I expected. I was not at all interested in serving God. <clears throat> not one bit. 
I had no intention of it. I was uh, completely just satisfied with status quo in my life. It wasn't something I was worried about. But what happened is he got my attention. I couldn't possibly turn away from it. I couldn't possibly go back. Now I could never imagine my life to be any different. But he gets our attention. He makes us notice him. He makes us see that he's a real, genuine, definite God, and he's in control. So the very next line in the scripture says that God's spirit took me up and set me down in among them a lot of bone. There were bones all over the plain, dry bones bleached by the sun. This is another thing you need to understand about God, that he doesn't take us sometimes to get our attention. He doesn't take us to these beautiful places. He doesn't take us to fields of lilies and wheat blowing and beautiful places and all these different things and you know, beautiful sunsets. It doesn't where he, it doesn't where he takes us to get our attention. A lot of times where he takes us is down a tough road, you know, a difficult part in our life. And a lot of times he's going to take us to places where there's just nothing but, you feel like there's nothing but death and dying and, and just miserableness and just lost, a lost feeling. You know, you always hear in society, people are always asking, well, why does God let such terrible things happen? Why? Why are there people that have, you know, incurable diseases? Why does it happen that, um, you know, we have little children that have AIDS, you know, and are dying and stuff? They, people don't understand that. And they, they, don't, they don't get why it is that that takes place, and, and they're always asking those questions, but it's really for us to understand and to grasp the idea that there's brevity in life. I mean, it really is just a vapor. When you think about the fact that we are only ever going to live about 120 years, most of us will probably live around 70 and 80. That's probably where we'll be. And when you think about 70 and 80 years in the great scheme of things of how God created things, that's nothing. That is just a very short span of time. Man's life but it's nothing. And we're obviously, we don't know when it's going to end. So that's what God does. He takes us a lot of times to a place where there's death and dead and, and miserableness around us, and he tries to get our attention off of the things of the world and on to him and make us realize that time is short. And uh, like I said, he did this to me. He made me aware of my mortality. He made me aware of my fears um, I obviously was dealing with a lot of fears that I didn't even realize I had. Even though I never talked about death and dying, um, it was one of those things when my kids would talk about stuff, they would be like, um, you know, they would say some little thing and be like, oh, don't talk about that. You know, I didn't, I never wanted to talk about anything where somebody could die. And uh, God took me full circle on that. You know, he took me full circle to understand that that's not the thing to worry about. It's really living here on earth. That's half of your problems. It's not when you die. It's here and what you're going to do with it. Um, he makes you aware of your mortality, and he makes us face up our, to our fears, the things that we're dealing with. And then he has you answer the question, son of man, can these bones live? And this is the question he asks each one of us that have ever served God and really gotten serious. He asks that question to each one of us. And each one of us, specifically has to answer it. So I ask you, each one of you is here, can they live? Can dead bones live? Do you believe that God has power to do those things? I've talked to you about Lazarus. I told you that Jesus couldn't even attend a funeral. 
in his days. When he walked in, there was so much life in him that as soon as he walked in and saw a dead body, that body sprung to life immediately because he had so much life in him that there couldn't even be death around him. Understand that when you really, truly do accept Jesus as your Savior, when you really mean it and you say you're going to follow him, I'm going to tell you, when you not only say it with your lips, but you mean it with your heart, you know without a doubt that those bones can live. You know it. You know that he can bring anything back, and he can do an amazing thing. I definitely believe it. And these bones, these dead bones are going to live. You know, that's the way I look at it. Um, it really doesn't matter, though, what I believe. It does for me. But what I believe doesn't really matter to you. Because you have to believe that for yourself. Each one of us has to believe it for ourselves. Like I said, we're on our own. And it's really what you believe personally that's going to be what makes it or breaks it and what's going to make it important to you. So he goes on to say, prophesy over these bones. Dry bones, listen to the message of God. You need to understand that dry bones are going to live by reading and applying God's word to your life. There's nothing more that will make a difference. I adore God's word. I love it. I mean, there's, there's times where, you know what, I don't always get it. I don't always understand every single part of what I'm reading. And there's parts, truthfully and honestly, I couldn't lie before God. There's times where I'm thinking, this is a little boring. But I also know that it does amazing things for me. As I'm reading, it takes those dead bones and it turns them back into life. It does amazing things for your spirit. It makes you feel like there's hope. It makes you feel like there's going to be something that's going to happen here. And you can just feel this expectation that kind of gets birth in your heart when you read God's word. It does amazing things to us. He shows us in the scripture that we need to speak it too to have it happen. We need to speak things into existence. God's word says that our words have great power. He says that when we speak things, even if we're speaking negative things, careless words that we have to answer for every single word we're going to say someday. Do you understand that? You actually have to stand before God and answer for every frivolous word that you speak. That is weighty when you think about that, that you have to do that. Um, but what our words say, when I say about what I believe in God, all that makes a difference. People are listening for one thing, and then also, if we believe it and we really mean it, it does something inside of us. Um, God the Master tells the dry bones, watch this. I'm bringing the breath of life to you and you'll come to life. I'll attach sinews to you, which is tendons. Put meat on your bones, cover you with skin, and breathe life into you. You'll come alive and you'll realize that I am God. He does that figuratively <clears throat> with all of us that have truly accepted him. But like I said, this is also a clue on how much power our words have if we really do truly believe it. Um, God could have done all this by himself. Every bit of what happened, everything that took place, he could have done completely by himself. Truthfully, he's God. He didn't need our help. But yet he leaves it up to us. You know, it, it really, even though he's standing in this, in this valley of bones and he's God, he could bring anything together he wants to bring together. But instead, he left it up to Ezekiel. Son of man, you prophesy. You do this. And you bring the bones back together. And so it goes on to say, he says, I prophesied just as I'd been commanded. As I prophesied, there was a sound of rustling. The bones moved and came together. 
bone to bone. I kept watching sinews formed, then muscles on the bones, then skin stretched over them. Our words have weight if you truly believe them. If you don't believe them, they mean nothing. They mean zero. Zip. Nada. Nothing. You know, I truly believe with all my heart that God brought me and my family back from death's door. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that he is still a God today that can heal bodies and bring people back to life if it's his will. I believe that completely. I think that there could be someone that's dead, been dead. I think someone could be done for a long time. If it's God's will to bring him back, he would bring him back. I believe God's that powerful. I believe that God's that amazing. So I don't doubt that one bit. He also tells us in Ephesians 5.10, he says, Wake up from your sleep, climb out of your coffins, because Christ will show you the light. We are all nothing at all. Basically dead men walking until we do something with our faith. We do something. We get an idea of what God had planned. We're all just nothing but walking around here with just a meager bit of life and then just the finality of death forever. For those of us who now believe we once used to be asleep, we were headed for the graveyard. No place else. But we allowed God instead to save our souls. And now we're able to live in the light, see the light, grasp it, see what God has in store for each one of us. And uh, he goes on to make a, a point, though, of one thing. He says, even though those bones came together, even though these people's bodies were formed back into existence, there were tendons, there were muscles, there was all this, that there was still no life in them. They were just there, just people just standing there as a form, but not really alive. So he goes on to say, he says, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, tell the breath, God the master says, come from the four winds, come breath, breathe on these slain bodies and breathe life. This is still the same thing he wants for us today. He wants for us, each one of us, to have the Holy Spirit breathed upon us. And uh, I really believe that's when you start to live. That's when you start to get it. I also think, in my opinion, but that's when we actually become either a draw or repellent to those people in the world. I think when the Holy Spirit is really upon us, I think that's either when there's people that are drawn to it, man, we are interesting to them. They are drawn to us, they're interested. But when you uh, are, have somebody that is, is disgusted by what you're saying about Jesus, if you really truly have the Holy Spirit inside you, I think that you are nothing but the stink of death to them, and you are repellent. So there, there's really something that takes place when we really grasp what it is that Jesus has for us. Um, when God begins to really show through us into our heart. So he says, so I prophesied just as he commanded me. The breath entered him, entered them, and they came alive. They stood on their feet. There was a huge army. You are not even remotely alive until you're spiritually alive. I really believe that. You know what? We exist. That's what we do. And there's a whole lot of people in this world that are walking this earth today that aren't even a have, don't even have a clue what life is really about. And sadly, there's a lot of senior citizens that are at death's door that still don't understand what it was all about. They still don't get it. They don't understand it. Even those people who could call themselves Christians, you know, they're the people that maybe only get excited when they, you know, and start to look alive when they see, like, their favorite hero, you know, maybe a sports figure or a celebrity or uh, 
somebody that maybe they thought was so intelligent and they just have them on such a pedestal that those are the people that are just like, it's hero worship and, and those are the people that excite them. You know, more than anything else in the world and, and these are the people that would travel to the throes of the earth just to see somebody, just to see them do great things, you know, a person. But yet, they do nothing for the God who could save their soul. There's nothing there. Other people get involved with alcohol or drugs to give them excitement, and obviously we see that doesn't work. You know, they feel alive for a short amount of time, something to kind of give them a little escape, make them feel excitement. But then, you know, there's always that down. There's always when you come back and you just really recognize the very next day or that moment not too long afterwards that you're dead again when you look in the mirror. There's a lot of people that just go from one relationship to another hoping against hope that the next person that they get involved with is going to be the one that gives them excitement and gives them some sort of sense of life and a thrill. Something that makes them feel good about themselves. Because we are a society that even though we are given so much, we have so much offered up to us, we are really a miserable society. There's a whole lot of people that are not happy. They're not happy. They're just doing what they can to just survive and make it. Just make it. I'm thinking, make it to what? But this is what it's all about. You know, if that's living, no thanks. Thank God he saved me for better than that. I'm going to tell you, there's days I get so still, you know, caught up in this idea of you see people and it's the futility of this remodeling and fixing and making it beautiful. And so then you get your house all set up and then all of a sudden, you know, you die off and your kids take your house and... They think everything you did was crap, so they go back and remodel everything else different the next time. And it's just a society over and over again. It's like trying to make everything perfect and beautiful. When in the great scheme of things, what really doesn't matter? I am struggling today with this message, and I'll tell you why. Because when I started this message, I had a little bit more hope and then sometimes it seems like the enemy kind of just attacks you. I do believe that this generation could be different. I do believe it could be a generation that could make a change. It's difficult, though, when I watch people make the same mistakes over and over and over again, not to get frustrated. I do think that this is a generation that's looking for a little bit of more deeper, real meaningful connection to Jesus. And I think just like in Ezekiel 37, that God it can, can and will put life back into dry bones in order to do what he says he's going to do, create an army of believers. And it's all in the vision. The vision poem. You see bones, I see an army. It's what I want for each one of you guys. I want you to understand that there is an army that you're called to fight into. It's not just to live this miserable meaningless existence of futile hope of getting boyfriends and girlfriends and and dating and trying on people and and drinking and doing all the stupid stuff like that because you know i'm gonna tell you i did it it doesn't work it doesn't work unfortunately for some people i could tell you that the stove is hot you're still going to touch it you're still going to burn yourself and it's not going to work unless you test it yourself it's frustrating, though. This is a generation that's seen it all. <laughs> you guys have experienced a lot already in your short years. You know, you guys have seen things on television and the movies 
that honestly men of old age would never even see as adult men. You're, you're being raised with it. You're seeing things on morning television that no one should have seen yet. No one should have seen. And so you, you have this awakening already inside you. Um, sexualization, I mean, everything's so sexualized. You can see, I can watch a girl that'll come in here, honestly, she'll come in at 12, and within, honestly, three, four months, she looks like she's trying to be 18. There's a big difference. And it's like, why? Because we're following the trends of what the world tells us to do. You got to look pretty. You got to get the other person interested. Got to hook them. They got to like you. That's what it's all about. And it's like, that's not, in truth, what God wants us to think about. He says there's so much more. I do think that this is a generation that's looking for more. I think that they have passion, but it just seems to be a little bit misguided. I think God wants to wake up their passion to serve him because our destiny is revealed in what we're passionate about. You, what you right now are passionate about, the things that even take your mind Where you let your mind go, what you think about, what you dwell on, what makes you happy is going to be where your destiny ends up. If your constant thought is always on a person and you're going to be drawn to that, I'm going to tell you, you will, that will be your existence. And more than likely, there'll be numerous people in your life that you'll have that have been in your path because not all of them work out. All we do is have scars from each person usually. And uh, that's where we end up. You've got to understand something, though, of what we're passionate about. I am passionate about serving Jesus. I am passionate about being a woman of God. I'm passionate about being a leader up here. And hopefully, trying to get someone else to be a leader and change their destinies. My whole passion is just, honestly, the thought of, like, getting somebody to grasp what it is that Jesus did. Because I'm going to tell you, you guys are believing a lie of your parents and generations before you. This is not all there is. This is not it. Even up here, this is not it. There's so much more. There's opportunities to go serve God in ways that you never thought. This is not just it. You need to remember that a lover always outworks a worker. If you love what you say you love, you're going to give more to it. And if you love Jesus, you're going to work hard. If you look at it as work, you're doing nothing. You're going nowhere. If you look at this as something you have to do, you know what? That's about all it is. You have to do it. Because I'm just trying to get you to understand that there's so much more. Do you recognize how much Jesus loves you? And most of the time, we just turn our back. When we love, we give more of ourselves. I know I do with Jesus. I know how much I love him, and I know how much I want to give him because I see what he did for me. But first, somehow, we've got to convince this generation, all the people that you come into contact with on a daily basis, that they can be brought back to life by the forgiveness of him. Like I said, they bought into the lie that life is just hopeless. That saying all the time that life is hard and then you die. You know, this is the story that's perpetuated over and over and over again. And even though some of you are up here and you say that you believe it, it's the same thing that you really truly believe. Life is hard and then you die. Your job is to get through school with the best possible grades 
get a good job, have kids, and raise them just as mediocre as you've been raised. That's what a lot of you guys think you're going to do with your societies, what, your, what society has happened. I'm just going to make it. It's not enough for me. I'm going to tell you, I want more. I want the bar to be up here. And I think that's what's going to happen with my generations of kids. I really do. Like my kids, and I know some other people up here, I think that they're going to make, make more of themselves because they're not going to believe the lie of what the world has told them. Like the scripture, we see that God says, bring on the hopelessness. You know, why aren't we saying that? You know, how many times a day do you guys ever even think about the fact that there's so many people out there that are hopeless? They have nothing. Do you ever stop to think about these people that our eyes come into contact with on a daily basis? Maybe they were just ready to give up. Do we ever stop and think about the whole fact of life and death and, and happiness and complete despair? You know, I try to look at somebody and think that hopefully they'll understand that there's so much more for them, that God cares, even though there's people that might not look like they care at all. The word tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones, and what that means is he's telling us to preach to them, for us to start opening our mouths and quit standing silent. We're supposed to be the people. We're supposed to be like Ezekiel. It's not just me who's a leader. It's supposed to be each one of you out there that are supposed to be able to say to somebody, you can have life. You can have forgiveness. You can have hope if you want it. We're the only ones that have the message of hope. We're the only ones that have the answer for every single problem. And I mean that with all my heart. Jesus can change destitution. He can change despair. He can take depression away. He can turn anything around. He is the answer to every single problem that there is. We have the hope. We can offer it to him. But a lot of times, it's just like somebody sitting there that hears someone dying of cancer, and we have the cure behind our backs, and we're just looking at them and thinking, yeah, well, I have it, but I really don't want to share it because if I say it to you, you know, you're going to think I'm crazy and, and stuff like that. But we wouldn't do that if we thought we had something that was tangible, would we? Something that we could actually hold on to. But because it's something that we can't hold on to, we think we can't offer Jesus. We have the answers. Be willing to share with it. Quit staying silent. You know, if God can raise an entire nation of lost souls after being dead so long, don't you believe in your heart that he could save some people that you come into contact with on a daily basis, those that are dead people walking around? I, I think he can. I think we've got to quit believing the lie that the enemy has told us that they're never going to make it. They're never going to accept Jesus. They would never change. They would never. It's like, you know what? Who are we believing, the enemy or we believe in God? That's what we have to understand. What voice are we going to start listening to? It's never a surprise to me the, the tricks of the devil. The devil has amazing tricks up his sleeve. And he speaks so much defeat in our lives as Christians. And we just don't ever start stepping up and doing the things that we're called to do. Ezekiel was told to, and now we're told to take on this call. But we need to start looking more than looking alive. Because we've obviously done that far, far too long, don't you think? This idea of looking like we're believers. You know, we're really doing something for God. But yet, how many people have you talked to about Jesus in the last week? Month? Day? Any one of us? 
even saying that we're going to pray for somebody, talk, why we even talk about the spiritual things at all. Obviously, we don't believe it. Because what we believe, if you, you think you, you know, you're the best house builder in the world, you're going to be telling everyone how to build a house, aren't you? You know, you, you know how to mow the lawn the best. You're going to be telling, oh, I know how to mow the lawn. I'll tell you how to mow the lawn. This is how you do it. This is the best possible way. If you have the answers and you know how you can change your life and you've got the answer to people giving up on life, then why aren't we sharing that? I think some of us only look like soldiers. But we really need to be an army that's ready to fight this battle. It's going to take real effort. It's going to take real work, and it's going to take some accomplishing that's going to uh, have to happen. You have to condition yourself to be in an army. You know, you don't just get to go off and be in the army. What happens? You have to go through what? Basic training, the basics. You've got to learn to discipline yourself, fight the fight, get up early, put effort in. Stay up late. Right when you're ready to just be completely just exhausted and fall down, you have to keep running. You have to keep doing more. People will do it to join the army, but they won't do it in their spiritual walk. We have to understand that it's a battle and it's an army, and we're going to have to do some work. You know, it's possible to come back to life. If you didn't believe it before, I hope you believe it now. I hope you're starting to get it. I hope there's something inside you that's like, yeah, there's something real to this. It can happen. Maybe we need to start sharing our testimonies a little, a little bit more. Maybe we need to start seeing ideas that people's lives change. Because I think sometimes if we have the face on it, the personal part of it, then maybe we kind of get it. I think each one of us needs to really look in the mirror and see how dry our bones are. How dry are your bones? You know, are you able to even see flesh and blood? Or are you just all bone when you look at yourself? God's word says, look in the mirror. Judge for yourself what you really look like. I think if you are really living again, if you really say that you are a believer and you really are drawn to this truth, then I think you need to understand that there's a greater calling than just doing things status quo. You know, you have to be willing to hear the battle cry, though. Some of you are going to hear it. Others just, you're never going to hear it. But, at least tonight... You know, maybe you'll think about what Ezekiel did in those days of old. And you need to really start to see if you're even going to ask yourself if it matters. Does it matter to you? You say that you're a believer. Are you a believer? Because it's not just enough to believe. What does God's word say? It's not just enough to believe. Even the demons believe and shudder. It's not enough. It's not just to say, yeah, Jesus, he's a good guy. He'll save your soul. Will he? Do you really believe it? Did he even save yours? I think if we believe it and really, really, truly believe it, there is a passion that just, it's, it's just amazing what it does to the people around us. It draws them. I want you, uh, we've got plenty of time. You're going to sit still for a while and you're going to watch something. And I really just want you to think about your own spiritual walk. Please don't mess around. I'll be honest with you today, I don't have the patience for it. I don't have the patience for it because I really do think that time is short. And I think there's too many people that just don't take this serious. And I'm not here just to try to drum up emotion. Not a bit. I want to say, if you guys know anything about me, I am not an emotion-driven person. I could care less. Honestly, sometimes I just get so mad, I just want to just, like, scream at people. Because as much as I love everybody and want them to be here, I want just to get what I'm doing here. 
This is not fun and gameville. This is not what I'm here for. I'm here to get you to wake up spiritually. Do things different than what society has told you to do forever and ever and ever and ever. Make the change now so that you can actually raise your children in the right way and that you can have generations upon generations that are going to serve God in the way that God actually intended you to do it. If you think you've been a Christian ever since you've been a wee babe, understand that ain't going to save your soul. You better start waking up spiritually because you know what? It's not going to work. If just because you've been raised in a Christian home means nothing, nothing. It has to mean something to you in your heart to make a difference. So just pay attention for a little while, if you would, please. And I want to pray for you real quick. Lord, I just pray that each person that's here tonight, Lord God, that we'd really recognize, Lord God, just that this is a battle cry, that they are called to fight in an army for you. This isn't something, Lord God, that's just uh, flip and, and just spoken easy and just rush off again. It's something, Lord, I just pray that weighs heavy upon their hearts. I just pray that they would grasp it tonight and they would recognize that there is a battle that they're part of the army. And Lord, there'd be real changes in their hearts tonight. I just pray that after this, Lord God, when there's people that come forward to pray, that uh, if they haven't done enough, that they feel your conviction, they'd be challenged to come forward and, and really really start to focus and do what you called them to do. Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing in each one of these people's lives, Lord, and what you're going to do. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.